Welcome to the How and the Why. With John Barrett Ingalls. Exploring and celebrating the creative process and the creative purpose of authors, editors, and artists that make up and inspire the Black Hill Press family. Black Hill Press is dedicated to the novella. We believe a great story is never defined by its length. Let's get creative. Brought to you by Black Hill Press. I'm John Barrett Ingalls, and today I am uh, really excited to be connected with Josh Wheel, uh, author of The New Valley and also author of The Great Glass Sea. Josh, thank you for joining us. Thanks. It's great to be here. Um, so I, let's talk a little bit about uh, – I'm always curious, especially somebody who's you know achieved success as a writer, at what point were you – like, ah, I am a storyteller and, you know, words are my weapon and, and this is the thing that I want to do. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think uh, I think I knew I wanted to tell stories fairly early on. Um, frankly, before I loved reading stories. Um, uh, I think writers often come at, at their uh, their love for writing through two different ways, mostly. One is is people who really love reading books and, and books mean a tremendous amount to them and, and they want to kind of live in that world and, and wind up writing because of that. And, and for me, it was always the act of creation, of uh, creating stories that was primary. Um, although, of course, uh, my it's all, of course, all mixed up a little bit. My imagination was fired by what I was reading when I was a kid. But, right. um, but I would say, oh, somewhere around... 12, 13 years old, I started writing short stories. You know, we're talking crappy 12, 13 year old short stories. Not anything. Oh, come on. Don't sell yourself too short. Oh, there were, uh, you know, I guess I haven't looked back at them. Maybe they were worse than genius <laughs> and everything's been downhill. From, from um, but, uh, but uh, you know, writing just kind of short stories that were just, you know, just my imagination going crazy. I wrote one about two brothers who were centaurs. Uh, I wrote the first kind of full story that had an arc was uh, about a cowboy buck got in a knife fight, killed a man by mistake, and was chased down until he was hung from a cottonwood tree. Um, and Even uh, that, even that uh, ten-word sentence had so much life to it. it was <laughs> there was life for me in it. And, and I did, I found that I just re- I really loved uh, just that act of creation and of getting to know the characters, and all of a sudden there are these people who are alive for me that hadn't been alive before, and, and the thrill of, of writing stories. So, um, you know, pro- probably around the first really serious move towards I made, though, was my last year in high school. I wrote a, a novel-length thing that was also Western uh, called, it had the embarrassing title of The Scent of Sagebrush. And... Uh, 
You know what you're going to read when you get that as a title, though. Yeah, that's true. You do. You do. <laughs> uh, so, so I wrote that thing, and then and then I spent actually a good number of years uh, pushing away from writing fiction um, and and working on other things. I did a lot of photography and, and a lot of film. My undergraduate degree was in filmmaking, and um, and it was a production based program. So I was I was making movies and editing and. Um, working with actors and started doing some screenwriting and playwriting. And um, it really wasn't until I, cir- I circled back at around, well, maybe, I guess, the year after I graduated from from college, I started to circle back to uh, just writing prose because it was something that I could do on my own. Mm. Um, and that right, I, you didn't have to wait for a crew or a producer or somebody with yeah, money to say did, you can do yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely, and didn't have to... And, and could do it without the fear of uh, of failure and what that would mean in that world of film. So, uh, what I mean by that is is my first attempted literary novel I wrote the year after college, uh, and it was a 1,300-page uh, behemoth, and uh, you know it was too long and, and not good enough to work, and um, and so I had spent you know a good deal of time and a lot of effort and love on it and uh, but that was all that was spent uh as opposed to uh around the same time that that was failing I was working with a producer and thinking about trying to make my first film feature film and um that would have meant borrowing from family and maxing out mm. credit cards and doing all that and and I just this thing just hit me that said well what if this is like the first novel I'm screwed and uh and so in, in in many ways it was fear that kind of led me back to saying um i'm just going to stick with writing for now uh and i'm not proud of that but on the other hand i think there may have been something at work behind that fear that was a little wiser and that's that the lifestyle um and the kind of work that needs to go into writing a book mm. is something that fits me much better uh, yeah much better. you have more control you have uh uh you're more at uh, uh, command of time and, and yeah. space. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a, it's an immersive experience like film is, but there's no one there immersed in it except for you. Mm. Uh, and so uh, it's hard to know again how what starts what. Uh, I became a person who loved to be very isolated and on my own for long stretches of time, in in large part because I could. Uh, fall more fully into the into the imagined worlds uh, that I was working on, um, and work at them more diligently without the distractions of other people and daily life. But I'm not sure if that was who I was. Uh, I think in part it was who I was already, but I'm sure that was sharpened and and made stronger by my. Well, I, I wonder if like uh, working writing screenplays and working as a director and writing plays as well i mean because you you said working with actors as well you you have this ability to uh really make your characters definitively themselves you know there there's you know i i read through the new valley and your your three main characters in the three novellas they have their voice they have this life so much so that i can picture them you know you did such a great job of just giving them a voice and uh also your your sense of uh describing the place like you 
put yourself there as if you were, you know, directing this and writing down, okay, well, this is what it's going to look like. So I wonder how much of that that fed into it. Yeah, I think I think that you're you're right to to pick up on that. Um and and the film work and again, who knows where this begins. I moved into film because I had done a lot of photography and painting and thought I'd be a painter for a while. Mm. Uh and so there was a visual side of me that that needed to kind of work its way into narrative. Um and so that was always important, but but learning to kind of think about narrative through film early on meant that that descriptive quality and the ability to fully envision the place that I'm writing about became deeply important to the way mm. that I work. And is often, it's something of a crutch in some ways. It, it, when I'm struggling with a scene, I actually go usually go back to two things. One, to work myself into it, I'll often just begin with description. Sometimes that just gets cut. Sometimes uh, it gets cut in the moment. I'll spend an hour working on description and then start a little later on. Um, but it's important for me to, to kind of fully see it uh, and, and place myself there. And then uh, the other thing that I return to when I'm, when I'm struggling getting moving forward is is kind of the old uh, trick when you're doing improv with actors and, and you have two actors together, and then the thing that the, that's key is uh, what does each person want and why can't they get it because of the other person. Right, the um, obstacles and, that, and the objective, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and that that's what creates drama. And so I find myself sitting back often and saying, okay, what what is it exactly that uh, this character wants in the scene and what's stopping the character from getting it? And that probably goes back to to the playwriting and the and the theater directing. Um, and in, a, in another very real way, for me, when the writing is going at its best, um, I don't want this to sound too flaky, but uh, it feels like I'm kind of floating above the action. Mm. Uh, and the characters are in a very real sense uh, like actors. And I'm kind of a director who's created a corral of what is okay for my vision of the scene. But within that, I'm hoping that, that they will uh, do things that surprise me and do things that I'm not uh, anticipating. Um, does that happen? It does. Yeah. Off? Are you surprised by your well, characters? Enough. <laughs> I don't know about enough. I wish it happened every time I sat down at the desk. Um, it happens less and less uh, recently, actually. But uh, when it's really rolling, um, then it happens a fair amount. And I feel like the characters are really guiding what's happening in in the specific breath of that moment. It doesn't mean that I, I'm not... Uh, very much in control, you know. I feel like I know what has to happen in the scene. I know how I want to say it. I know all that stuff. But uh, I'm kind of following the characters' leads to see how I describe what they're doing, even though, of course, it's my subconscious or whatever. Um, so, but when when there's that relationship, that's when it feels most alive and most charged to me. Um, so I, I try to get there. It's it's a very hard place to get if there's any distraction if I'm distracted or uh, not fully kind of encased in the writing, the, the world of the book. Um, and so that's, that's, that's probably my biggest struggle these days is how to find the time and space to sink that deeply into something. Mm. So I just finished uh, The New Valley. Um, and this is a – would you call it a collection of – 
novellas or yeah. is it one piece? I think it's a collection of novellas. I, I mean, I wrote all all of them separately, thinking of them as separate pieces. Uh, I think each stands on its own uh, mm-hmm. without the others. And I think they're stronger as a, a whole, as the three together, uh, because they, they speak to each other. Um, but, and that's why I think they kind of need it. I don't know if I'd say needed to be collected, but uh, they're better collected. Uh, but I do think of them as, as novellas, separate novellas. So in the in your process of writing them, you had no idea that you were going to pair them together. You had your first story was <clears throat> was the uh, um, the Osby story. Uh, yeah. what it, was Rich. that your was that the first one? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and that's that, and and when I wrote that one, it? I didn't even know what a novella was. I didn't know, I had no idea what I was doing. It was um, my first after my first semester at grad school. I went to Columbia and. Uh, I was feeling my world was opening up in many ways. I was reading a lot of stuff I wouldn't normally have encountered. I was also being pushed in some directions, uh, largely by the other students, I think, uh, as happens and as is, is appropriate to kind of experiment and um, and try different things. And, and I went down to the cabin in Virginia, my dad and brother and I built, where I spent a lot of time, and um, kind of hunkered down there trying to work on what I thought I should be working on, a novel, and just got this idea for... I was just thinking of it as a story, a long story. I'd hardly written many short stories at the time. Um, and uh, just started working on the thing. And, and when I was done, about, I don't know, 10 days later, uh, I had this 80-page thing. Hmm. And, um, and and so that was written without any sense of a collection at all, um, not even really, really with a sense of what it was. Uh, I probably had read, I'm sure I had read novellas at the time, but I hadn't thought of them as novellas you know, the things that I had encountered and just thought of as stories. Um, and, uh, but I wound up taking that piece into workshop the next semester and um, bringing it in in, in chunks. Um, and everybody in workshop spent most of the time trying to decide whether it should be uh, compressed into a short story or lengthened into a novel. And right. luckily I was working with a, a, uh, a, a teacher who became a mentor later, uh, Mark Sloka, author Mark Sloka, and um, he kind of took me aside and said, "Actually, this is this is a novella. I'm sorry." Um, <laughs> so, and, and and I found that I just loved the form. Uh, right. It just it, it felt right to me. Um, so so that one I didn't write with the idea of the collection at all. Uh, the other two, I did. Right, thinking that they would be part of a collection. Um, uh, by then, I was I knew I liked the form. I thought, well, I, uh, it's a novella. I, I, I like this thing, and I'll try doing another one. And um, and at first, it was actually not going to all be set in Appalachia, uh, but was going to be about the relationship. Each story was going to be a relationship between uh, a man somewhere in rural America and a large animal. Um, mm-hmm. And that I wrote the second one that was set in Texas, which actually became a novel. Um, and that was a long story behind that, but a novel that almost sold as my first novel and then didn't. Um, and uh, I, then I wrote the other two, and it kind of started to become uh, clear to me that it should all be set down in the, in the same fictional valley. 
Now I'm curious, did you, uh, when you were working on Stillman Wing and uh, Sarvaville Remains, were you down at the cabin as well? Like I trying was. to get yeah, back to the land? Yeah, I just did well in part two things. One, that was just that's just the place that became most important to me and where I spent most of my time when I wasn't in school or working in New York. Um, I would go down there for a month at a time, six weeks at a time, uh, and just hold up. And so I, I knew that area very well, um, and I spent long periods down there too um, later on, up to about eight months was the longest stint I think I did. But um, but it also was just where I did my best writing. So I, mm. I wrote other stuff there too. I wrote the first draft of The Great Glass Sea, which was all set in Russia, I wrote while I was there. Um, I just am working right now on the second draft of a novella that's set uh, also in Russia in 1769, and I, I had to go back to that cabin to write the first draft. So um, it's uh, it's just a place where it kind of my mind gets it in the right place to work. Um, so yeah, so I went down there and wrote wrote those two. Now you're the the second novella in this, Stillman Wing. You did this amazing thing where I, after I finished it, I felt like I had been reading for five years because you played with time so well and you blended time and you had these uh, signposts of, you know, what time of the year, but you kind of got lost in it and all of a sudden all this time passed. And I, I, I thought it was really yeah, it was really powerful, like exhausting almost at the end of it, uh, in, in a good way, of course. Um, uh, did, I'm, was, I'm glad so, to hear that I wiped you out with it. <laughs> was that uh, the second one that you had written for this collection, or uh, were, were you – you wrote the the Texas uh, novel, yeah. and then you you came back and, and I wrote the Texas one first as a novella, right? Uh, and then it was after I changed shifted that to a novel that I came back and wrote Stillman Wing uh, as as the second novella in the collection, uh, and that was and this often happens with me. I had started that a year or a year and a half before and gotten just a little ways into it and couldn't couldn't break my way in. I have trouble starting things often. Um and so I banged my head against the wall with it for I don't know, uh, a few weeks and then set it aside and then when I came back to it a year and a half later or or something, um it uh cracked open for me and I was able to able to write it. Um but uh but yeah, so that was that was the second one. The thing about time in a way, it was a challenge that I gave myself. I knew that I had trouble leaving things out. Um, and so telling a story that, that stretched over a large period of time, uh, a few years, was hard for me because I always felt like there were all these things going on in between what I was writing, and then I wanted to write those things down. It's part of why my first attempt at a literary novel was 1,300 pages. And, uh, you know, so I, didn't, so I thought, well, I'll give myself the challenge of writing something that's a novella that stretches over, you know, I think it's about eight years in there. Um, and uh, uh, and that paired with what I wanted to, to deal with in the, with a man who's uh, starting to suffer from the early stages of dementia and um, and his grasp on reality and time is slipping from him. So um 
it just kind of was one of those those things where the demands of the story forced me to face something that was a weakness of mine, and and uh, I kind of took it on precisely because of that. And then the third one, the uh, uh, Sarvaville Remains, yeah, I started reading it, and you're writing it from the point of view of somebody who's a little mentally challenged. Yeah. And it... Again, you know, for our listeners, just to give them a sense of why they should read it, it, it started off like, oh, man, I don't know if I could handle it. Like, it's a little – because you're writing in the language the way, you know, they're basically letters. They are letters written by a mentally challenged man. And Who also it, speaks in Appalachian dialect. Right. So, and uh, <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's all over the place. But then it, it, it just – flows it's kind of like watching uh, a foreign language movie and reading the subtitles and you're like man i'm not able to enjoy the movie because i'm reading these subtitles and all of a sudden it just flows yeah yeah mm-hmm. um was that a challenge were you concerned that like oh man if i write this whole thing like this it might turn people off or as you read through it did it just start flowing for you um you know i think it was that Sarville remains is probably uh, certainly one of the things that's closest to my heart that I've written, and part of it is because the way that it came about. Um, I heard that voice, uh, Jeffrey's voice, fairly uh, early on, and started writing the first couple paragraphs of that, and then scared myself off by it. You know, I thought, "What the hell am I doing?" And and I didn't really know what the story was going to be at that point. I had some sense of it, but I didn't really know. And it wasn't until I I went back down to the cabin. Um, and this was probably maybe two years after I'd started that, after I'd first kind of got an inkling of it, um, and started mapping out the story uh and and figured out what it was and and the way that again the 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 character's limitations and his struggles shaped the way that the story was going to be told and and even the and, and even shaped the, the the possibility for the story to be what it was because it's his it's difficulty grasping what's going on that allows mm. the plot to work in the way that it does um and so uh, it was very complicated. It's kind of a dual-track story where there's a narrative that's happening in the in the kind of present action, and there's also a, dis- a narrative that's happening that's being in the present action is about the character Jeffrey discovering what it was that actually happened in the past as well. So these two things were interlocked, and it was very very complicated actually figuring out. It was, it was very much a puzzle figuring out how those were going to work in tandem. Um, but that part, I was uh, – it kind of hurt my head to try to figure it out. I'll constantly <laughs> be mapping the thing out. But once I started moving with it and once I'd written the first few pages, Jeffrey as a character was uh, – came to me as strongly as any character ever has. And I knew – in a sense that I just had to follow the way that he would think and talk, mm. and that would very much steer the story. Um, and so I wrote it quite quickly. It's it's a, close to 150 pages. Um, it's a pretty long novella, and um, I think it took me about three weeks to write the first draft. Um, and then, of course, there were, there were subsequent revisions, but 
probably fewer revisions on that piece than anything long that I've written. Um, so I feel very much like that was, I kind of just rolled forward with it, pushed by his voice and by the character. Um, and so I didn't, once I was in that, I didn't really question. There were times I'd sit back and say, holy shit, you know, is, I don't even going to understand this. But I, uh, I believed in what it was to the point mm. where I wasn't, I didn't think I shouldn't be doing this. Um, you know, and then I, I worked very hard to make sure that it was both uh, accurate in the dialect. I'd go to a little place called the Bread Basket down there and sit and just listen to people who'd come in and talk. And, uh, and of course, you know, people I know down there, I'd, I'd hang out with them. There's a friend of mine who's now dead, but he was in his 80s, this guy Russell. And I'd talk with him, and he had a thick kind of Appalachian dialect of that southwestern Virginia Appalachia. And, um and you know, I'd go home and kind of write down stuff that I remembered of how how he'd say things. So I, I feel like I did my work to figure out what the dialect actually was, and then on top of that, worked to make sure it was consistent. Uh, I remember I sat down and had to kind of go through almost like a glossary uh, with you know uh, things like uh, Jeffrey says uh, what instead of that. Yeah. Um, yep. And, yep. You know, everything, there are probably, I don't know, three, four hundred ticks of his that I had to kind of make sure were consistent throughout. And I think that consistency is so vital because it's what allows the story to teach the reader how to hear it. And then you can't break that once that's happened. Um, I see this all the time. I, I read that piece aloud um, sometimes when I do readings. And it's the first time I read it, allowed it was terrifying because uh, I could feel in the, in the audience that holy shit moment <laughs> when when you know I start reading it and it's this you know mentally slow character first person at this kind of thick dialect and everybody in the audience says are we really going to sit and listen to this <laughs> um, you know and then but it's always interesting by like two minutes in I feel it just like flows. completely gone. And yeah. the piece I read, I only do that reading if I have about 20 minutes to read, uh, something, you know, a longer a longer bit of time because I think it takes time for people to settle in. But uh, I think in the end it works better than anything else I've, I've got for, for, for a reading out loud, um, in part because people kind of have that resistance and then it's... The, accept, uh, yeah. the brain kind of accepts it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, the Great Glassy you just released this past summer. Yeah. Uh, now you were saying that you you wrote your thirteen hundred page behemoth. You went on to these novellas, uh, not necessarily knowing that like the the uh, uh, Ridgefeather was going to be a novella or not. But when you approached the Great Glassy, did you know it was going to be a novel? No, I thought it was going to be a novella. I, uh, <laughs> I actually, uh, actually, I thought it was going to be a short story at first. I, uh, I started work on it, wrote, the, it was a similar thing to Sarverville, and I uh, wrote the first paragraph and thought, holy shit, what am I doing? I've got this, like, one sentence, massive sprawling sentence, first paragraph that deals in Russian fables and is all going to be about Russian characters from mm. their point of view, and, and I thought, what the hell am I doing? And put that aside. 
But uh, then I started working on it. I, I, I tried writing two other books and uh, struggled with them and came back to that. It was this thing that wouldn't let go of me. And um, I was out of the cabin and started working on it. And uh, I thought it would be a, sh- a short story at that time. I thought, well, I'll give it a go. And, and it's what gave me the the balls to write it is I thought, well, so I'll try doing this crazy thing. And if it doesn't work out, it's just a short story. Um, and then wrote the first scene and it was about 12 pages long and realized, shit, either this is not the correct first scene or it's longer than a short story. At which point I thought it was a novella and, and wrote towards the end as a novella until I got about halfway through a first draft and I was looking at, hey, I was looking at about a hundred pages and, uh, B, I started to realize that there were all these elements that were uh, not supported that were becoming important. Uh, the relationship with the mother, for instance, becomes very important in that I knew that there were going to be scenes that would require a uh, underpinning to work emotionally, and I hadn't built that underpinning in. So mm-hmm. I wound up going back to kind of to start build that in and, um, and, and then was facing a first draft that was, I think about 250 pages um, by the time I got done with it and thought this is probably a novel, although even at that point I gave it to some close first readers. And uh, one of the things I wanted to find out was, you know, does this need to be a novel? I really believe that novels should need to be uh, right. that long. And uh, and if not, you know, is this better if I try to just really compress and and uh and, and make it in, still make it into a long novella and uh and it, it wound up uh coming down decidedly on on the side of of novel in fact uh the second draft added four hundred pages so uh, <laughs> so, yeah. so do when you write do you outline your story or do you just do you have the story in your head and you just start writing it you know with the, with a short story, I have the story in my head. And I pretty much outline it in my head, you know, even if I'm not necessarily thinking of it that way. I pretty much outline it, and I wind up uh, – my short stories wind up being fairly long usually anyway. Um, but I, I write them to something of an outline. With something that's longer like a novella or a novel, I outline pretty um, intensively. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something that I struggled with for a while, especially in grad school. That was – very much frowned upon uh, with writing literary fiction. The idea of an outline uh, was seen as something that would squelch the squelch creativity and any kind of growth uh, that's natural to the story that's arising out of the characters. Um, and But I found that I just couldn't write without an outline. It just wasn't how I worked. And even when I would try not to outline, I'd just be outlining in my head and I'd just get confused. Um, and it's still something that's it's fascinating to me. Uh, I have a lot of friends who write without an outline, uh, and I can't imagine doing it. Um, but so I, I map things out. I think about something for a long time and have scrawled out lots of ideas for scenes, and then I sit down and think, okay, how are these scenes fitting together? And, and for me, one of the most exciting and creative processes is those days when I've um, just got pieces of paper and I'm shuffling them around the table and I'm scribbling in the scenes that are going to link things and figuring out, you know, there's that kind of thrill of seeing, oh, you know, here's where this scene, how how I can get to here from this earlier moment. And uh, that for me is, is one of the most creative and exciting parts of the whole process. Um, and then I, I, I teach a class actually called the Organic Outline. And uh, for me, one of the 
the most essential aspects of all of this is that it, the outline is constantly shifting. Mm. Uh, so I print it out, and then as I write, uh, I'm scribbling on that outline to the point where it's just covered, covered in my scribbles, and I have to kind of retype it in um, <laughs> and then print it out again. Right. Um, so, so I think that's what keeps it alive uh, and keeps it from feeling stilted uh, and being a, a cramp on, on the imagination. Now, let's talk, we're nearing the end, but I, I want to keep going. I want to talk briefly about um, publicity. So for the New Valley, you, you got a lot of acclaim. Uh, you, you won uh, awards for it. Was that your publisher that did the publicity, or do you take it upon yourself to uh, do the work and, and get it out to the right agencies and it's a combination. I mean, I think it, it has to be a partnership, especially uh, I've both of my books have been with Grove, and Grove has been amazing. They're wonderful, um, but they don't necessarily have the massive budget to, and the big, huge team of publicists and all of that that you might find with, you know, Simon & Schuster or something like that. Um, but uh, but they do have really skilled publicists, and everybody there, it's a small team, but they actually really care about each book that they put out. So as long as, um, for me, I, I feel like I kind of have to do my part to do everything I can for the book. Um, and my publicist, it mostly feels like he uh, kind of takes what ideas I have or what I want to do and, and makes them possible, uh, helps make them possible. So, for instance, uh, book tours are often seen as, a, I think, a waste of time and money uh, in many ways now. But for me, with the first book, uh, book tour was very a very important part of, of publication for me. It, it feels made, it made the book feel like it existed in the world and right. that I could – engage Shared, people yeah. about it. Um, so I wanted to do that again with this novel, and um, I wound up doing a, probably reading about 30 different places and driving all the way around the country. Uh, and it was my publicist was, I think, wary of that idea at the beginning, but once I said this is what I want to do, he became key in helping to set up those things and get radio interviews and local media interested and all of that kind of stuff. So it's very much, I think, a, a collaboration. Mm. Well, Josh, thank you so much for your time. I, I could keep talking to you. Uh, which, uh, <laughs> that was uh, fun. Thank you. Maybe make it into two different uh, interviews. But uh, I, I'm going to cut it here. I want everybody to definitely go and, and uh, read The New Valley and uh, pick up The Great Glassy. I'm going to pick up The Great Glassy because I think you're a, a brilliant writer and, and really you. easy to read and, and immersive. Uh, but I also think that people need to check out your website. In, in your Stillman wing, uh, the uh, second novella in the New Valley, you add these drawings that you made yourself of machines mixed with body parts, and I think they're fascinating, and uh, people can check them out on your website as well. Now, the Great Glass Sea is illustrated with 30 illustrations I did, actually, too, so it's the drawing theme has continued. <laughs> all right, excellent. And I, I wish you all the best of luck, and I think you're uh, well-deserving of all the praise that you're getting. Well, thank you very much. This was fun. This has been The How and the Why by Black Hill Press. I'm John Barrett-Ingalls. The show was produced by Kevin Stanek and yours truly. The music is Maya Lua by Bossa Zuzu.
wanted to thank everybody for your creativity and your inspiration and to remind you all to keep making art. Thank you.